bit of a height difference here. Well, good morning. Uh, it's wonderful to be here with you. Uh, if you don't know me, my name's Dan. I'm the Assistant Minister here at Cherrybrook Anglican Church, uh, and it's my privilege to be able to preach uh, this morning on this passage from Luke chapter 4. Uh, but let me pray as we begin. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word to us. We pray this morning, uh, as we look at this passage, that you would give us ears to hear, give us minds to understand, and give us hearts to accept your word to us this morning, and particularly uh, enable us to accept the authority of Jesus. And we pray this in his name. Amen. Uh, well, we're jumping in uh, this morning in the middle of a series in the book of Luke. Uh, we started at chapter 3. We're going to finish up in chapter 6. So just a fairly small chunk of the book overall. Uh, but we're exploring the idea of being on mission with Jesus. Uh, in chapter 3, John uh, prepares the way for Jesus. And then Jesus kind of starts to be begins his mission uh, in chapter 4. Um, and so let me just briefly catch you up. What have we seen so far? Uh, well, as I mentioned, in chapter 3, John the Baptist prepares the way for Jesus uh, his, and, and for Jesus' mission. Uh, John does this by calling people to repent, and he baptises them uh, as a symbol of that repentance. Uh, and we've seen as Jesus comes to be baptised by John, we've heard the voice from heaven saying, This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. And then we're seen uh, as Jesus goes out into the wilderness, the spirit leads him out into the wilderness. Jesus is tested. He's tempted in the wilderness by the devil. And he passes the test. Unlike all of us, unlike Adam, unlike Israel, Jesus chooses to obey God instead of giving in to temptation. And so Jesus returns to Galilee in the power of the spirit and he begins preaching in the synagogues. And in here, uh, this is chapter 4, uh, we see that Jesus' mission is good news. He goes to the synagogue in Nazareth, his hometown. And in the synagogue, he reads from Isaiah in the Old Testament, a prophecy about one who would proclaim good news to the poor, freedom for prisoners, recovery of sight to the blind, set the oppressed free, proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. It's a prophecy about a saviour who will come and rescue his people. And Jesus says, I am that person. I am that one. Good news, salvation is here. But what did his own people do? People from his hometown in Nazareth, well, they rejected him. They got angry, drove him out of town to the edge of a cliff in order to kill him. But Jesus escapes. And so the good news goes to others. It goes to everyone, including us here today. Well, this morning we're looking at that passage we just read that Aleha beautifully read for us from Luke chapter 4. Keep that open in front of you if you've got a Bible uh, or if you've got it on your phone. Uh, we're going to be going through that passage. And what we're going to see this morning is the authority of Jesus on full display. Uh, four points this morning. Uh, I don't have an outline or anything, so see if you can remember them. I'll, I'll go through them as we go through. But uh, firstly, we see Jesus teaching has authority. His teaching, his word has authority. 
Secondly, we see that he has authority over unclean spirits. He has authority in the spiritual realm. And then we see, thirdly, he has authority over sickness and disease in the physical realm. And then number four, finally at the end, we see that news of Jesus' authority must spread, must be spread. So firstly, have a look with me at Luke chapter 4, verses 31 and 32. His teaching has authority. We're going to read those two verses again. Then he went down to Capernaum, a town in Galilee, and on the Sabbath he taught the people. They were amazed at his teaching because his words had authority. They were amazed at his teaching. There are some brilliant preachers and teachers in the world today. Because we have the internet, we can go online and download sermons from anywhere in the world, right? Within seconds, you can pull out your phone and be listening to some of the most brilliant minds in the world. We have access to so much. There's some amazing teachers. There's some amazing preachers. There's a few that I like to listen to uh, when I get the chance. At the moment, I've been listening to a, uh, a podcast called The Bible Project. It's not without its flaws, uh, as they all are. But the main teacher on the podcast, Tim Mackey, uh, he, he just, he's a brilliant teacher. And I'm often amazed at the way that, at just his understanding of the Old Testament and for the way that he, he just brings out the depths of the scriptures, depths that I didn't even know were there. He just, he so clearly kind of outlines all of these themes throughout the Old Testament. He's brilliant. I'm often amazed at his teaching. Brilliant teachers, brilliant preachers are engaging, often, uh, often entertaining, uh, interesting, intellectually stimulating. We can often be amazed at the skill of a brilliant preacher or teacher. But this is not why the people in Capernaum were amazed at Jesus' teaching. They were amazed at his teaching, but not because he was entertaining or interesting or engaging, although he probably was those things as well. Now, the reason why they were amazed at his teaching was because his words had authority. Because Jesus spoke differently. There was something about his teaching Something about the way he spoke. He spoke with authority. In those days, uh, generally the, the teachers in the synagogue would, would teach by referring to tradition and, and how other people have understood a particular passage. You know, they'd read a particular passage. They would say, well, this, this rabbi understands it this way and, and it, this is how it's been understood throughout our history and how different people have understood it. And, and they would say, well, this is, this is what I think. And it would be clear as they taught that the teacher didn't have authority. They had knowledge. They knew a lot about the text. They might have a good understanding of the text, but they didn't have authority. Jesus teaches with authority. It's a bit like if you're in English at school. Some of you may need to cast your minds back a little more than others. Uh, but imagine you're at school, you're in an English class, and you're studying the lyrics to a song. And your teacher says, well, this is what I think the lyrics mean. You know, they're, they're, they're a bit, you know, a bit confusing. Nobody kind of we're trying to figure out what, what, this, what this song means, what it's speaking about. And the teacher says, I, I think this is what it means. And other people might have their opinions and their ideas. But if the artist 
of that song, the one who wrote the lyrics, was to come in, they would speak with authority, wouldn't they? they just come in and say, this is what it means. Because they wrote it. There's a simple authority to their words. Jesus teaches, he speaks with authority. Why? Well, because he's God incarnate. He's God in human form. We read a few weeks ago, the voice from heaven declared, you are my son. In Luke chapter 4 verse 14, if you look back there, Luke chapter 4 verse 14, it says Jesus returns to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. And so we understand that all of Jesus' ministry is done in the power of the Spirit. The same Spirit who inspired the writers of the Old Testament. In John's Gospel, he even says that Jesus is the Word. Jesus teaches with authority. But what we'll see as we go through this passage is there's actually another sense to the authority of Jesus. He has authority because he's the son of God and because the scriptures that he taught from were the word of God. But Jesus is also the Messiah, the king. We're going to see that later in the passage. And when a king speaks, there's a certain authority to their words, isn't there? They command and people do what they command. So you have a look at what, ne- what happens next. We're at point two. Jesus has authority over unclean spirits. In verse 33, we read, there was a man in the synagogue who was possessed by a demon, an impure spirit, an unclean spirit. And he cries out at the top of his voice, go away. What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are. The Holy One of God. I know who you are, the Holy One of God. In Isaiah, in the Old Testament, God is called the Holy One of Israel. God is above all holy. In the Bible, uh, sometimes you see things repeated. You might see a word repeated twice. You know, Abraham, Abraham, something like that. Uh, usually when things are repeated, it's for emphasis. If you want to say something's good, you just say it's good. If you want to say something is very good, you would say it's good, good. But if you want to say something is, is the goodest that it can possibly be, right, the ultimate in goodness, you say it's good, good, good. The Bible uses lots of words to describe God, his character, who he is, what he's like. But there is only one word that's used that way. Only one word that's used as a triplet, repeated three times. And it's the word holy. Holy, holy, holy. God is above all holy. And to be holy means means a couple of things. They're, They're kind of related. To be holy means to be set apart. To be set apart. And the second thing is to be pure, free from sin. To give an example... Your toothbrush is holy, right? It's it's set apart for the job of brushing your teeth. And and you keep it pure for that purpose, don't you? You don't use it to clean the toilet. If you use your toothbrush to clean the toilet, it would become unclean, impure, unholy, no longer set apart for that purpose of brushing 
your teeth, right? In fact, as soon as it becomes unclean, you're never using that toothbrush to brush your teeth again, are you? God is set apart, completely and utterly pure, free from sin, free from evil, wickedness, anything unclean. He is holy, holy, holy. And because God is above all holy, he demands that his people be holy too. His kingdom, his people should be characterized by holiness. They're set apart, they're different, they're pure. Unlike the nations around, unlike the world around them. The whole book of Leviticus is about how God's people can be made holy. So that they can approach, so that they can have some kind of relationship with God who is holy, holy, holy. If an unholy person comes into the presence of God, they're destroyed. That's why Isaiah was terrified when he saw a vision of God in the temple. He thought he was ruined because he was unclean, unholy. And so we see in the book of Leviticus all these sacrifices were done in order to purify the people, in order to make them holy so that they might approach the holy God. And so in Luke 4, when an unclean spirit calls Jesus the Holy One of God, what we're seeing here is a clash of kingdoms. We're seeing a clash of kingdoms. The Holy One of Israel meets an unholy and unclean spirit. It's a clash of kingdoms. And this is what Jesus was teaching. This is what he was preaching in the synagogue in Capernaum, as, as that unclean spirit, the man with an unclean spirit, interrupts him, Jesus was preaching the good news of the kingdom of God. Have a look down in verse 43. He says, as they chase after him, they want him to stay there. He says, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also. Which means he has been preaching, teaching the good news of the kingdom of God in Capernaum. This is what he's teaching, the kingdom of God. Have a look at verse 41. Jesus doesn't let the demons speak. Why? Because they knew he was the Messiah, the Christ, the promised king who would establish God's eternal kingdom. Jesus is the king. We're seeing a clash of kingdoms because Jesus, as the king, he's come to establish the eternal kingdom, but he has not entered neutral territory. He hasn't come to establish a kingdom where no kingdom exists already. This world is the domain of the devil. There are forces of darkness at work, unclean spirits, sin and wickedness, everything that is unclean and unholy reigns in this world. But what happens when the Holy One of God arrives? What happens when the kingdom of God breaks in? All that is unclean is pushed back. The king acts with such authority and such power that all he needs to do is offer a simple command. Be silent. 
come out of him. And the forces of darkness submit. Demons hear and obey the word of Jesus. Normally a king commands his own people, his own army, but he has no authority to command somebody else's army. But Jesus has such authority. He is so powerful that he even commands the enemy and they obey. And everyone is amazed. They're astonished. Have a look at verse 36. All the people were amazed and they said to each other, what words these are. With authority and power, he gives orders to impure spirits and they come out. What words these are. It's the same reason they were amazed at his teaching. Because his words have authority. The more powerful someone is, the more authority they have. The more they can accomplish with their words. Those of you with, uh, who are parents, uh, those of you who've had kids, at some point you've probably realised how little authority over your kids you have. Um, I'll tell Sammy to do something and he won't do it. And then I tell him again, and he doesn't do it. And then I tell him again and again and again and again, right? The more authority... If, if I tell somebody to go and you know, mow the lawn, right? Pick someone at random, go and mow my lawn. They're not going to do it, are they? I have no authority. But the more authority someone has, the more they can command that something be done, and it's done. Jesus commands evil spirits, demons, powerful beings, his enemies, and they obey. Such authority, such power. And we see the same thing happen again in the next scene. Jesus has authority over sickness. See, after leaving the synagogue, Jesus goes to Simon's house. Simon was renamed Peter. He's one of the 12 apostles. And his mother-in-law is there. She's sick with a fever. In those days, a fever was, it was, it was really bad. These days, get a fever, take some Panadol, probably something wrong, see a doctor. Fevers were much worse in those days, often a sign of a really bad illness. And so they ask Jesus to help her. And what does he do? He rebukes the fever. He rebukes the fever, which is a strange phrase, isn't it? I don't know if you've ever rebuked a fever. I haven't. If I get a fever, actually I don't get fevers. If Sammy gets fevers, uh, we give him Panadol, right? We do, we do something. Jesus just speaks. He just speaks. And he treats the fever as if it can hear and obey him. Who is this? Who is there that commands inanimate objects and they obey who speaks and things that don't live and breathe do what he says it's God isn't it he created everything that exists how by speaking by the power of his word and here in this passage we see the Son of God speaking. By that same power, with that same authority, he rebukes the fever and it obeys. 
It's the same word there uh, that's used for what he did with the unclean spirit. The NIV that we use here at Morning Church obscures the language a little bit here. In verse 35, where it says, Jesus said sternly to the unclean spirit, the word there is rebuke. It's the same Greek word that's used here in verse 39 for what Jesus did to the fever. He rebukes the unclean spirit. He rebukes the fever. Rebuke. What do you rebuke? You rebuke something that's wrong. Somebody does something wrong, you rebuke them. Like the unclean spirits, sickness, disease, it's, it's a wrongness in the world. In the Garden of Eden, there was no sickness, no disease, no fevers. In the new creation, there will be no sickness. These were introduced when sin came into the world. And what we see here, as the king comes, as the kingdom of God breaks into the world, as people come to Jesus, all that's wrong in the world, all the effects of sin, these things are restored and put right. And we get this little picture of what life in the kingdom of God looks like. A picture of what one day will be the reality across the world. No more sickness, no more disease, no more suffering, no more death. Where the king is, where the holy one of God is, these things are driven away. By his authority, by his word. The Messiah is here, the king is here. It's good news. But then why doesn't Jesus let the demons speak? They know who he is. Notice that there in verse 41. They came out of many crying that Jesus is the son of God, but he would not let them speak because they knew he was the Christ. They know. The demons know who he is. And so Jesus silences them. And there's a few reasons why, probably many reasons why. Partly, I think, it's that we see a number of times Jesus wanting to keep his identity a secret until after his death and resurrection. I suspect, like we see in John 6, if everyone knew he was the Messiah, they'd try and make him king by force. They wouldn't have crucified him if they'd known And ultimately, Jesus had to die to pay our penalty, to make us clean, to make us holy. And so partly it's because he needs to be crucified, but partly I think this proclamation that Jesus is the Christ, it should come from those who are on his side. It should come from those who trust and serve him, not his enemies. It would be inappropriate for the unclean to proclaim the message that the Holy One of God is here. Because that message would be run. Run from him, not run to him. And so Jesus never lets the demons proclaim him as the Christ. He uses his authority, the power of his word, to silence them. Well, it's natural, I think, 
after Jesus has healed so many people from his town and cast out so many demons, it's natural that the people want him to stay, right? If Jesus had done this for us, I'm sure we would want him to stay. But ironically, after witnessing his authority on so many levels, after seeing his power and his authority, the crowds actually try and control him, don't they? They want authority over Jesus. They try to keep him from leaving. But Jesus says in verse 43, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also, because this is why I was sent. Jesus wasn't sent to heal and to cast out demons. That wasn't his mission. It wasn't his purpose. It's not that he didn't want to do those things. It's not that those things weren't part of his plan. There's a reason why he did those things. There's a reason why he healed people and he cast out demons. But that wasn't his ultimate purpose. That wasn't his main goal. The healings, the casting out of demons, they supported his mission, but they weren't his ultimate mission. Anytime healings or exorcisms become the main game, the main goal, then we've missed the point. We've missed Jesus' mission. What was his mission? To proclaim a message. To preach the good news of the kingdom of God. The kingdom is here. The king is here. And that is a message that must be spread. And so Jesus went, proclaiming the good news in the synagogues of Judea. Jesus' authority, the authority of the king, must expand. This is not a mission for Capernaum only. God's kingdom is bigger than that. This is not even a mission for all of Judea or even all of Israel. No, his mission, the authority of this king, extends to the ends of the earth. To us, sitting here today, 2,000 years later. It's a message we still proclaim today. The king has come. The kingdom of God is here. He has authority. We began this series Actually, looking at Matthew chapter 28, after Jesus had risen from the dead, just before he ascended to heaven, he said this to his disciples. He said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus has been given all authority. And that's good news. That's good news. Sometimes I think these days we, uh, we, we can stress so much and put so much emphasis on the fact that Jesus is our saviour. And, and we know that that's good news. We know that that's good news, that Jesus has come to save us from our sins. But then what we sometimes do is we add on the authority of Jesus, the lordship of Jesus, as if it's something that has to be accepted if we're going to have Jesus as our saviour. You can have Jesus as your saviour, but only if you accept him as your lord, as your king. In other words, 
We see the fact that Jesus as Saviour is good news. But the fact that he has authority, the fact that he's Lord, that he's King of Kings and must be obeyed is not good news. But it must be done if you want to be saved. But what we see here in this passage and what we see throughout all four Gospels and in fact in the whole Bible is the fact that Jesus is King. The Lordship of Jesus, the fact that he's been given all authority, that everyone on earth must bow to him and obey him, that's good news. That is good news. Because he is a good king. Because he loves his people. Because his commands are actually good for us. And it's because... By his authority, because he is king, that he drives out demons and unclean spirits. It's by his authority as king that he heals sickness and disease. It's by his authority that he drives out the forces of the enemy and creates a kingdom of joy and life and righteousness and peace, and all that is good and holy. The King has come. Will you submit to him, to his authority? Will you serve and obey the King? Not just part of your life. Not Sundays only. Not only in the things that you want to give up. But your whole life. Will you surrender your life to this king and find in him eternal life? Let me pray that we would be people who do just that, that we would be people who give up our lives for Jesus. If this is your first time praying this, I'd love to talk to you afterwards. Come and chat with me, chat with Andrew, uh, whoever brought you along here to church. We'd love to talk with you about what that means for your life how we can help. So come and see me or Andrew afterwards, but let's pray now. Heavenly Father, thank you that you sent Jesus to be our saviour and king. Thank you for the way that we see his authority on display here in Luke 4. Please help us to submit to him that when he speaks, we would obey. And we pray this in his name. Amen.